Good morning, sports fans. Fill up that coffee cup and that bowl. Sit back and relax. Because live from Colorado, it's time for the Sports Offensive. Good morning out there, sports fans, and thank you so much for tuning in to a special pandemic episode of the Sports Offensive. I'm your host, Mark Demas, and we couldn't be happier to have you join us today. We are action-packed. We were so jam-packed. We are fuller than Farrah Abraham uh, on a $5,000 date. I mean, we have got so much to go over. We're going to try and get right into it. We won't be able to cover everything, but just on the very top of uh, of the show, we want to uh, extend our condolences to any of you that have lost loved ones to the COVID-19 uh, massacre. If you have lost your job, uh, we sympathize with you. We're all we're all skating along that razor's edge and hoping that uh, that we stay employed through the chaos. Uh, today we have, like I said, a, a absolutely jam-packed show. We've got uh, the Last Dance, the Bulls documentary. We want to we want to cover a little bit. Uh, we want to do a major recap of the NFL draft. The only sporting uh, entertainment that we've had, a uh, legitimate sporting entertainment that we've had in quite a while. Although, want to make sure that you do know, uh, Korean and Taiwanese baseball is available on Twitter. If you want the link, I'm going to post it on our show page. Uh, I watched a little bit this morning and caught the last two innings of one of their games. The best part is the teams are uh, named after their sponsors. So uh, the team I was watching was the 7-Eleven team. So that was kind of entertaining. Uh, we also want to give some draft grades. When we recap the NFL draft, uh, going to cover what's going to kind of go over with world reopening of sports and with uh, U.S. reopening sports and what can be done, what is likely, what is possible, and what is really, you know, uh, uh, not going to be feasible no matter how much we want it. So, uh, and we'd like to, uh, first I'm going to bring on uh, JP, a co-host here, and he has our sports offensive trivia question of the week. Hello, JP, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Good morning, gentlemen. I can, hopefully we're all doing well. I want to say uh, thank you to everyone out there as uh, our our import or essential employees, I should say, our, our our nurses, our doctors, our healthcare workers, our first responders, our grocery store employees, and so on and so forth. And uh, you know the people keeping these restaurants open with takeout and curbside service and uh, drive-throughs. I know I hit Torchy's over here at least once a week through the drive-through uh, that Jim and Nick's had in the building. So, and there was about 50 cars in line on uh, Cinco de Mayo this week to actually get some Torchy's tacos. So, and I also want to send, uh, you know, hopefully everyone is doing well out there with this pandemic. And, you know, it is Mother's Day weekend, so happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, definitely want to give a shout-out to all the moms out there, especially mine. Outstanding point. Yes, absolutely. Happy Mother's Day to all. Um, and do you want to uh, give us a quick read on the question here before we ring Nate on? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so now this is um, a, a, a NFL draft question, and this is uh, the current draft uh, format that we have. So what team had the most players drafted in one draft? How many and what was the year? So what college team had the most players drafted in one draft? Well, rounds one through seven, and how many players was it, and what year was it? Oh, that's so funny. When I read that question, I thought you were asking what NFL team has had the most drafts in one draft. Now I see what you're saying. So which college team yeah. has most players leave in yeah. one draft? Yeah. Okay. 
I do know this year uh, LSU had a had a boatload of players uh, uh, taken. I mean, for for someone who is a, a fairly casual fan when it comes to college football, especially and then like the draft. You know, I usually watch the first round, maybe the second round, because that's about as many players as I could possibly know. Uh, this year, I watched the whole thing because there was nothing else sports related to watch. So uh, it was interesting. I'm going to go ahead and bring on Nate Dog here, our other co-host. Uh, Nate, can you hear us? And how are things going? Hey, guys. Uh, happy to be on this morning with, uh, with all the COVID uh, spreading through the city. And uh, it's really nice to hear your voices and be able to talk a little sports in this crazy time. Uh, thanks for having me on and uh, looking forward to talking some NFL and uh, last dance and all those cool things that we've been watching and uh, hearing about. So, and Nate, I wanted to ask you this question and then JP is you as well. Um, just how are you doing? I mean, this is an unprecedented kind of situation for us to experience, especially in a country that is so uh, dedicated to doing whatever the heck it is you want to do and going wherever the heck you want to go. Uh, even for an introvert like me, uh, I know it's been a little disconcerting to have so little human interaction. And I just wondered how you guys were holding up in this time. Nate, why don't you go first? Yeah, it's a great question, Mark. Um, it's been a challenge. You know, I feel re- really lucky because I'm one of the people that's been employed this whole time. Uh, I work for a restaurant locally here in Denver, and we've been fortunate enough to have enough business to do quite a bit of to-goes um, and being part of the management team there, they ret- they retained all of us and uh, laid off 24 other workers. So I do feel real lucky about that, um, that I've been able to go to work every day, but it's been a lot of hard work. And I know a lot of people that are working right now are working harder than they normally do, you know, while others are at home, not working at all. So it's a very difficult situation for everyone. Um I, you know, usually I'm pretty solid, but I've definitely had a couple of meltdowns. <laughs> um, you know, you just, you're in close proximity. I live with just my wife and I in the house and it gets to be a little bit, uh, a little too close sometimes. And so, uh, you know, you just try to, you try to manage those things and, you know, be more intentional about your time with each other, your time apart. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely a challenge. So you know, you how have, about you guys? What are some of the things that you're dealing with? You know, you bring that up, and I just think my, my condolences to Joanne. I happen to spend all that time crammed into a house with you. I mean, that's just... <laughs> <laughs> that's we all feel fault. bad for her. I know. <laughs> <laughs> we've, enjoyed, uh, we've enjoyed the videos of your dog, Carl, uh, howling at 8 o'clock. For those of you who don't know, uh, different things oh. are doing it in different ways. Uh, our local, uh, local area here in Denver Metro... Uh, every day at 8 o'clock, people go outside and howl, uh, shoot off fireworks or fire off shotguns uh, at 8, 8 p.m. precisely uh, to show not only our respect for all of those people that JP mentioned that are out there working and putting themselves at risk to just keep the country rolling. And uh, uh, But it, it, it's always a fun uh, experience, and the videos that we've gotten of Nate's dogs uh, doing their howl have been very entertaining, I have to say. I'll send it to JP so he can put it up on the page. It's pretty cute. JP, you have like a, you know, what you do is you're, you're, you're very much client facing in your job. So you're seeing most of your clients, I'm assuming uh, uh, on a day-to-day basis. And you're coming into contact with a lot of people. First of all, thank, uh, thankful that you have not caught this disease, or if you did, you're asymptomatic. Um, either way, at least you're not sick. 
And uh, but ha- what has it been like for you? Has it been more normal since you see so many people? You know, it has been more normal to me. Like I said, I, I try to get the torchies at least once or twice a week uh, to get takeout. Um, I'm extremely comfortable going in and out of facilities with uh, the way I, I sanitize myself. And, um, you know, as long as people practice their distancing, wear their masks, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, I live by myself. I've got three TVs sitting right in front of me right now on. Um, so, um, you know, for me, just the, uh, the, the fact of, uh, you know, when I come home, um, my clothes go right in the wash machine. I get right in the shower, and I, I call it my decontamination shower. And then I sit down and make dinner. So, you know, it's, 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 it's changed a little bit, but um, except for being able to go and sit down and see, you know, some of my, you know, great bartenders that are around here and uh, converse with them and, you know, have that interaction at the bar with some, you know, fellow, um, fellow uh, tenants here at veranda that always I see over at Torchies and so on and so forth. And then there's a Chili's and Cheers is right down the road. Um, it hasn't been that much different except for, you know, wearing the masks and, uh, and all the perspective or the, the PT or PTE to, uh, protective gear and, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, we went through a stretch there in the grocery stores where there was a definite lack of product on the shelves. And now the product is back, the paper products are stocked, you know, so people can, you're still working on the hand sanitizers and, and some Clorox and you know, the Clorox wipes and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm pretty stocked up myself, but you know, it's, for me, it's, um, not business as usual, but it's not that far off. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, for me, the biggest difference is that I'm not going into an office and seeing my coworkers. And like I said, I mean, I'm an introvert. I don't mind spending a lot of my time alone. Uh, I have a huge list of things that I've actually started to get done uh, that now that I'm stuck at home all the time. And that really, that's kind of helped. And also because uh, with my job, there's a, there's a, a, a certain amount of time that's spent like collating on spreadsheets and things like that. So Sometimes I can just leave something to go. It's like, oh, this is going to take 10 minutes to finish, and I just can go do the dishes, or I can go put something away or start to clean something. And uh, so in that respect, it's kind of nice. I've gotten my closets all reorganized. I've gotten my car reorganized. I've gotten everything cleaned very well. Um, gotten a lot of things, you know, like either removed or getting ready to sell off that I don't need. All that kind of stuff is good. Uh, it's just it is hard, and you don't ever see somebody, like, like to discuss with. I guess I should feel fortunate that I do have a cat that I can talk to. I mean, he doesn't talk back, but uh, – you know, it's at least at least it's a living thing, you know, in the, in my house so that I, I don't forget that reality still going on. But, uh, you know, it's funny you talk about working and, and I mean, I am working more now than I was uh, before, before the pandemic because we are so busy because the kind of business that I work for, uh, this is just tailor made conditions for what we do. And so uh, people are calling us nonstop with like, can you help us? Can you help us? And so we've got tons of proposals out and tons of work maybe coming in. So um, as much as I kind of envy the people who are like sitting around and, and getting, you know, working a few hours and getting full paychecks, um, you know, I, I try to take a long-term view of, Hey, at least I'm going to continue to make what I'm making, if not more, uh, as opposed to dropping down to something worse or having, uh, having a more difficult situation. So anyway, uh, thanks for that little glimpse into your lives, fellas. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into sports here. <laughs> So, uh, you know, Nate, uh, you and I have been working a little bit on some sports trading. You have done some personal sports trading, uh, mostly with cards, but some other memorabilia. Uh, something happened this week. Uh, I don't even know if it was yesterday or the day before, something like that. Um, a Shoeless Joe Jackson card sold for a pretty big bundle of money. I'm sure you've uh, read up on this issue. <laughs> I have, Mark. Um, 
Yeah, pretty neat. You hear about it, you know, every once in a while, somebody finds one of these crazy old baseball cards in their attic or dad's lunchbox in this situation. Um, so it's, it's a card, I guess it was, it had been in the family about 110 years. Um, they sold it through auction place called heritage auctions. It's a real high end, uh, sports memorabilia slash baseball card auction house. Um, and it's a, kind of an interesting story. There, it's actually there is a story up on ESPN if you want to read the whole story. Uh, it's actually right on the front page there. Just click on the link at the top. But um, long story short, you know, a guy and his dad uh, unearthed a collection in 2009 uh, that they had got from their father, and you know, had gone through it. Didn't know a lot about baseball and just kind of didn't see much in there and threw the cards back in the box and said, you know, we'll look at this down the road. And 10 years went by. (laughs) Uh, So they decided to go home and look at it. And, uh, you know, he kind of, they, they pieced through it carefully. They did, they found this Jackson card and they didn't think much of it at first because it's a minor league card. Um, You know, it didn't really stand out that much. And then once they did a little more research, they figured out what they had. Uh, the family did send it in for grading. So a card of, of that value to get graded is quite expensive, anywhere maybe from five to $10,000 to get it graded. Uh, wow. So I don't know if they the family had that mo- kind of money, you know, or had they, they had to take out a loan to get it graded. But, you know, a lot of that depends on the grade, what the value is. This was a 3.5, uh, which I think is one of the highest grades in that card available. Um, it may not sound like a lot out of 10, but, uh, something that old, you just don't see those things come around very often. Um, so yeah, I went to auction, sold for half a million bucks uh, a couple days ago. And, uh, these people are living the good life now. <laughs> God, I, mean, I wonder what you pay in taxes on that, or I guess maybe it's capital gains. So it's a little bit less, but whew, I could still see. I don't know how they qualify that. That's a good question, yeah. but. Or maybe just I would add. imagine you pay a good amount. Um, I was going to ask you, so uh, cards from, like, let's say 1930 or earlier. First of all, I didn't realize that in Shoeless Joe Jackson's time they even had uh, minor league baseball cards or even minor leagues, to be honest. I thought, they, I mean, amateur Yeah, league. sure. Um, but mm-hmm. the other thing I was going to ask you was, what is the highest level ranked card by PSA for, uh, let's say, anything pre-1930? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I don't know the answer to that, Mark. If I had to guess, um, boy, pre-1930, you probably don't see anything much higher than a five or a six, you know, I would from think those years. I would be Yeah, a six would probably be pretty exceptional. Um, you, think you know, classic- and, and, sorry. No, you're good. I, I you know, for people that are real curious about learning more, you can go to PSA's website, um, psacard.com. They have information on how they grade cards. Uh, it'll tell you what a 10 is pretty much. And, you know, 95% of it is pretty objective. Now, there's definitely a subjective piece to grading cards. Uh, I appeal, things like that that go into it. But, uh, really, it is a it's a standard, and so if you want to go on there and kind of learn what that is, you can understand what a three and a half looks like 
Um, but, you know, it's going to be a fairly beat-up card. The corners aren't going to be sharp anymore. They're going to be rounded. The centering's probably off. There even may be a stain or two on it from gum or tobacco. So uh, it's not in great condition, like I said, at three and a half, but something that old is pretty rare to come around that still kind of has its integrity to a, to the card. Well, people need to remember that, I mean, there was no plastic back then. There was no way to really protect right. something other than putting in like a tin with other cards and then, but you know, you're going to handle yep. them. You're going to move around. There wasn't, you know, you know, screwing together glass cases probably didn't come around until at least the 1930s, you know? So right. I, I mean, I, that's why I think that is an exceptional, even if you were to get somewhere in like a five range, because, you know, I mean, these, we're talking about 110 years here of, of, you know, age on these cards. So uh, that's a long time for anything. Yeah. To last. That's not paper, you know, so. and one, one more thing of note on the card as well. Um, it actually has gone down a little bit in value, which is kind of unusual for those cards. About a year ago in 2019, another three and a half of the same card sold for 600000 So wow. it's come down just a little bit in value, but, uh, boy, it's still a pretty valuable card, and that family's uh, out celebrating, I'm sure. They yeah. had a couple other tobacco cards, I think, that they found, too, some of those T206s. So they'll probably get some money for those as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, sell it for this amount during the pandemic is probably not a bad deal. I mean, you got to, you know, oh, you know how yeah. much out there and what the future holds. So this could help. I was going to ask sure. you, do you have an idea at all? Like that Honus Wagner that's been passed around a little bit, been pretty famous. I think Wayne Gretzky owned it at one time, um, mm-hmm. but it's like shifted around to a number of people. It's kind of the oldest, most valuable card out there, as far as I know. Uh, mm-hmm. You can correct me if mm-hmm. I'm wrong, on that, of course. Uh, but do you know? Uh, what grade that is, or could you give a guess? So I don't know, but I can guess, and I know there's a lot more to the story. I remember that after, I think after Wayne bought it, uh, there was some question on whether the card had been trimmed or not, even though it was in a slab. Um, so I think they, they recenter it better. Yeah, I, I think so. That's usually why people trim a card. Uh, so I, I would have to look, I, but I do believe there was some controversy around whether that card has been trimmed or not. Um, and if I had to guess, the grade was probably a four or a five, you know, probably more likely a four uh, on that card. But, uh, yeah, that's notoriously the most expensive card ever sold, and that was for around $1.5 million. So. Man, one and a half. Most most recently, yeah. I also wonder if the drop in value of their of the card of five to five hundred thousand or so for the shoeless Joe Jackson is just that it was a new one discovered, and so now the quantity in the mm-hmm. in the world doubled. You know, and that's, I mean, collectible is a big part of yeah. it. Yeah. Well, of course it is. There's not a lot of people out there with six hundred thousand dollars to spend on baseball cards. <laughs> so yep. if you've got one of those shoeless Joe cards, you probably don't need another one. So, yeah, there's not a lot of those folks out there. That's a great point, yeah. I mean, who's got the kind of money that they're buying a baseball card for 500 grand right now? I mean, I want that job. Yeah. Uh, talk about somebody that's, somebody that's in the investment world, for sure. <laughs> right, somebody who makes PPE, somebody who's invested in 3M yeah. or something. All right, let's go ahead and move on now to uh, the Bulls documentary that has been playing on ESPN 
it, if you're in a different country, you can get it on Netflix. And, you know, it used to be with Netflix, you could use a VPN and then you could watch the, the international uh, Netflix version. But they've kind of tinkered with that. And it's a lot harder to do that now. You can't really just do that with a VPN. Um, so it's stuck on ESPN, which is kind of a bummer because ESPN is a paid channel. And this is this show. I mean, I know Netflix, Netflix is a paid service, but you can get Netflix a lot cheaper than getting cable. Um, and I, I just feel bad because everyone should see this show. Uh, we are on episode, JP, help me if I'm wrong, we are on six right now, right? We just finished six? We just finished six. Uh, seven and eight will be on tomorrow night at nine o'clock Eastern. I mean, and, and just absolutely fantastic. So for you who haven't seen it or don't know about it, um, what this is is, so there was a really crazy situation in Chicago, and I'm just going to break it down really quickly. Jerry Krause was the GM for the White Sox. When this other guy, this guy bought the Bulls, he contacted him and said, I would like to be a GM for basketball. The guy agreed, the owner agreed to it. I forget the owner's name. And he agreed to it and brought in Jerry Reinsdorf. Was Reinsdorf the owner? That might be it. JP, is that, is that right? That sounds, that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 he's actually in the documentary. That's why I feel bad. I can't remember his name. Um, but it might be Jerry Reinsdorf and Jerry Krause was the GM. Um, I, I and, believe uh, so. So Krause uh, basically came in. I don't even know if it was the year that draft, Jordan was drafted. I think it was. I think it kind of fell to him. And that was like his first year. And then like the next year in the draft or the year after, I, I think it was I think it was two years. Gosh, this is terrible that I can't remember already. Uh, but they drafted Pippen and Horace Grant. And so there was your core of that Bulls dynasty that won those three titles. And uh, anyway, when they got to that last year, basically Jerry Krause had gotten grouchy and unhappy and, and, and felt hurt that he wasn't given more credit. Like he wanted to be the celebrated one for the dynasty, which is silly because fans are never going to celebrate the GM. I mean, they'll be happy with your job that you did, but I mean, come on, they're cheering and they're, they're showing up for the fans and the coach. So um, they kind of got into that kind of an ego thing to where he basically was like, Nope, this coach won't be here next year because he doesn't give me enough credit. He didn't say it that way, but that's what was going on. And then Jordan's like, I'm not playing for anybody, but Phil, uh, uh, Phil Jackson. And boom, that broke up the dynasty. Well, everyone kind of could see that coming. So that last season that they were all together, they let camera crews like backstage all the time with them and on the bus with them and in the hotel room. And like, it was kind of like the first mo- you know, the first Kardashian kind of reality show uh, just though it wasn't broadcast at the time. And so now all this footage along with current interviews of players and uh, other highlights from games uh, is being put into a documentary to kind of show where the dynasty started and what really happened down the stretch of that final year. And, you know, we're six episodes in, and JP, you and I have talked about it a little bit. This thing is, while I may not have gotten a ton of, like, information I didn't know, uh, it is one fantastically put-together entertainment piece for one of the greatest teams and one of the greatest players of any sport ever. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. This is going to win some awards uh, <clears throat> out there in Hollywood. I mean, this should win an Emmy. Uh, it's been a fantastic series. It, it brings you back to when we grew up as, as kids. And, you know, I, should, I really need to put this out there. I should tell people, you know, if you have kids today that think LeBron or KD are the best, sit them down and look 
watch this spe- this ten part special to see what this team actually did. Like right now, there were, I know Wilbon covered uh, Michael Wilbon on ESPN covered. Jordan a lot because he's a, he's a sports writer in Chicago. And, uh, you know, the discussion um, two days ago was how many points would Jordan average right now in the current NBA with no one really playing defense on him? Because, remember, Jordan had to play with an elbow in his back all the time. Um, and in this NBA, the average ranking is about 44 to 45 a game is what he'd be scored. I wouldn't be shocked at all. I think that makes sense. I mean, he was a prolific scorer. He could turn it on and off whenever he wanted. He learned to turn it off, and this is, goes over in the documentary. You know, there were times he learned to just turn it off so that he was a decoy. And, you know, but when he yep. wanted to, he had to make a statement. I mean, he dropped 60, you know, the day after someone questions him or says that uh, this guy can play defense against Jordan. He would just drop 50 on him and be like, oh, how was your defense? You know, it was like, don't challenge me. And I, and you know you bring up LeBron, you know you could be Kobe, you could Kobe, you know uh, Kevin Durant, you could go through a lot of players and saying that these are the next greatest player, and they may be better individual talents than Jordan. That's possible. There isn't going to be anyone a lot more talented than Jordan, but there you could say some of these players have more talent. I think Magic Johnson technically had more talent than Jordan did, but Jordan had what Jerry Rice had, and that is that I'm going to win. And that's a mindset that you can't fake. You can't acquire it. I I think you're born with it. And I think that's why it's so rare. And when it's paired with unbelievable athletic excellence, then you get these just transcendent players, you know, Tiger, Tiger Woods is another guy that falls into that category as well. Just a assassin. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, if you're going to, well, that was the whole Tiger Woods red shirt Sunday, right? Yes. Intimidation. Yep, had that red shirt on, you knew you were done. I mean, unfortunately, it's not that way anymore. But, uh, mm-hmm. but hey, he did that uh, when that he won was it the Masters last year. So, uh, hopefully, yeah. he'll be getting back on the on the on the trail at some point here again too. Um, you know, so we've got four four episodes left of this show, and, and Nate, I, I think you said that you haven't been able to watch it yet. Is that correct? I have not. No. Boy, I tell you Nate, what, man, you got to watch. Well, I mean, might oh, well I wait till the- I, I'm certainly planning on it. I'm just going to wait until it's all over and just binge watch it. But I read about it. You know, they 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 print stuff about it on ESPN. You know, the next day after it airs. So I've been keeping up with it, and uh, I'm looking forward to watching it. I'm, I've heard it's just really well done. You know, ESPN yep. did a great job with the uh, the OJ thing. So when they do decide to make a production, uh, they seem to do a great job with it. Hey, Disney money and Disney uh, uh, back in, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, uh, for any of you nerds out there uh, like me and who were uh, interested in what was going on with the new Clone Wars uh, episodes, the, the last season of Clone Wars from Star Wars is an animated show. Nerd alert! And uh, it's a fantastic. <laughs> uh, they had a uh, the last season, I think it has like 10 episodes or 12, no, 12 episodes, I think. And it's got like three different arcs, like the first four episodes, the middle four, and the last four are just a little different, different arc story arcs. And the last four were the only four that were done 100% by Disney. And while I've been pretty critical of their work in movies thus far, they just knock it out of the park with TV shows. That's all they should do. They shouldn't make movies anymore because they obviously yeah, can't know, right? They can only handle episodic things. And but they're doing a great job. I mean, the Rebels, the cartoon or animation show, I thought was actually fantastic. It was a very, very good feeling. Uh, same thing with that Mandalorian show, which 
everyone knows who Baby Yoda is now. I'm sure you've seen at least a thousand memes, if not a few <laughs> uh, stickers, other things like that. Uh, that show was just quintessentially fantastic Star Wars. And uh, and then I was not a big fan of the Clone Wars uh, animation show, which was basically between the movies number two and number three and what happened during this, this war uh, until it came to a conclusion. And the the this last season actually ends right as the third movie is starting. And or actually even a little bit into the third movie. And I finally so, did watch that, Mark, and it's great. It really helped me understand the, the original prequels better. Yeah, and and but those last four episodes, uh, which I won't give away the plot points, uh, but very good story, and, and it worked very well into the into the third movie. And uh, but not only that, you realize that the other Clone Wars episodes, even if they're touched up, they were done about three to four years ago, whenever it was Disney bought. Star Wars. Oh gosh, maybe it's six or seven years now. Um, and boy, technology advances because these things look so crisp and so well lighted. You know, the lighting is perfect. Hair work. I mean, like they talk about on the new video game systems coming out in December that they have a thing called ray tracing and how sharp it's making everything look. And um, just kind of to pull it full circle, it's really funny when you look at these uh, highlights that they have for this Bulls documentary. And you just think of the incredible advancement in television since then. I mean, you can see a mole on someone's nose or a pimple on someone's nose, you know, on a, on a game today because it's so clear. <laughs> Jordan's games against the Cavs, you know, his big victories on the Cavs, I guess, you know, was it, was it Elo or e- Eho or, or whatever his name was? Um, e- Craig Elo, yeah. Elo, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I can't believe how much different it looks. Yeah. Just amazing. But uh going to have to get a 4K TV here so I can really appreciate it uh, when we get these new PlayStation. Oh. So. <laughs> how much are those going for these days? I think six to 700 now. Um, the 8K television are the most expensive ones. I got my Samsung, um, go Samsung, uh, what are they, the Lions over there in uh, Korea? Um, I got my Samsung 58-inch for about $500 on sale, though. And that was when? Uh, Last. Yours is a 4K? Yeah, it's a 4K. It's a Samsung 4K. I don't know. Awesome. Amazing amazing picture because I have... I have a um, I have an RCA 4K which is 50 inches right next to it, um, and the difference in picture is is amazing. Hmm. But, but they're both 4K. But they're both 4K. Yeah, I guess quality is quality, right? And I uh, I mean, I'm still my my, my long, I still have a longer term goal, which is to get two mounted televisions in my living room and have them both be 4K, and I want to do that, hopefully, when the PlayStation comes out. My hope is I keep my job, nothing changes, and I can use my government stimulus check the way they intended, just complete consumerism, and buy two TVs and a PlayStation. Uh, Hey, there you go. We'll see see if that makes it. Of course, you always have the, you got to buy the console, right, the the gaming unit. Then you got to buy games, right, and those are like 60 to 70 bucks, probably, at least. Then you got to buy a controller, right, because you got to have at least two, so you get one charger. (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, it's gonna, now, it'll be a thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. And now I hear that there's a, a, a PlayStation to a 4K TV. There's a special uh, like super high definition, high definition HD cable uh, that you have to use uh, to plug them wow. in. So um, 
yeah, it's uh, HDMI, you know, like a, a high definition HDMI. It's like, wasn't that what HDMI already is? But it's like a, a souped up, you know, uh, graphic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before we move on, did you guys want to have anything else you wanted to mention about the uh, about the last dance? Well, uh, to tie know, it back I, in, I, I, oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead. Okay. Well, I just to, real quick to kind of tie it back into the whole baseball card thing. You know, that's been a market that's been real hot uh, over the last couple months, even with the COVID going on. You know, we've seen the economy just plummet. We've seen the unemployment rate, you know, just skyrocket. And uh, through all this, you know, there's been this kind of this feeling of nostalgia with all these people watching last dance that I think a lot of people have gotten back into baseball cards that are our age, uh, just over the last few weeks. So you're seeing a lot of cards from that era, uh, spike up in value. Um, for example, you know, Michael Jordan is probably the hottest card right now on the market. Um, you know, his Fleer rookie card from 86, is kind of priced out of range for most people. So now his what's hot is his second-year card, which is the 87 Fleer. And you'll see PSA 10s of that selling for five to $10,000 when they were probably worth maybe 800 to to 1000 just about oh, maybe three weeks ago, a month ago. Uh, so you're seeing huge spikes in those cards. It also is 88 and 89 Fleer cards. Uh, you're seeing the value of Scottie Pippen and, you know, Dennis Rodman, but it's also rubbed off on some of these other people. Um, you know, like my, one of my favorite players, Kirby Puckett, his rookie card has almost doubled in value in the last month. So uh, it's really been kind of an interesting thing to watch uh, through all of this. Yeah. Just yep. fantastic. Yeah, I do wonder real quick, do you think people are buying baseball cards so much because they're an asset? Because, you know, when you're in a topsy-turvy kind of economy, yes. you know, and then yes. you, you buy an investment, you can wait until the value, you know, goes up and you don't lose any money. Absolutely. And I think that's what most people are doing. I see. I think they're starting to get into the investment part of it uh, more than the collecting aspect. Uh, and you're right. It's just about holding on to that card and selling it at its peak. So it's it's interesting stuff. But uh it's been cool. It's really created a lot of nostalgia. And uh, I think people are, you know, looking back at those times and it's, you know, the Showtime Lakers and the old, you know, Boston Celtics and the bad boy Pistons and, you know, all those kinds of things have sparked, uh, you know, a lot of people going out and investing and collecting. So kind of, kind of neat as a collector and investor. Definitely. What were you going to say, JP? Yeah, you know, the the one thing I have to say is it just really takes you back to when, you know, all of us, you know, grew up. We we got the end of the Showtime Lakers and the Pistons, or well, we got we got the Pistons, but the Lakers and the Celtics, but we got we definitely were right through the Jordan era, um, you know, with his taking off and trying to play baseball and so on and so forth. It brings you back to a different time and a different period in this country where social media wasn't rampant everywhere like it is today and it just it takes you back to where almost i'm not going to say a simpler time but maybe an easier time and i and, and they like you said they released this early um and it was the perfect time to put it on when we don't have sports to watch and it's bringing a lot yeah. of these people back in watching something that they grew up on and saying wow man we really did get to witness that firsthand experience Dude. Do either of you guys know what viewership has been, and can we have? Do you like have anything to compare it to? 
Oh, like a Nielsen rating? I guess, or like, you know, or how many people watch the Super Bowl, you know, and how many people are watching this, or, you know, how many people watch regular season basketball games compared to this. Like, I would just be curious, like, kind of what the ratings are, uh, you know, how many people are watching it, because it is so timely, you know, with with no other sports going on, uh, the release of this has really... I feel like a lot of people are watching it that wouldn't have watched it had sports been going on and the world was kind of a normal place. I don't feel like it would have gotten the attention that it's gotten. And I'm not sure um, about the last or the most recent episode. This says that the uh, first two episodes averaged uh, 6.1 million viewers. So pretty good. I mean, that's nowhere near Super Bowl. Damn. Also, um, Netflix, I don't know if that gets included in, in these ratings. So... Uh, around the world, people are watching it on Netflix, whereas the Super Bowl, they are watching those on Netflix. Huh. So, not really sure, but uh, obviously, obviously there's some interest. I heard that the ratings have dipped a little bit, but I think it's utterly fantastic. Uh, JP, I think you bring up a great point in that I don't know how Jordan would have been able to, if he could have handled media, social media the way it is. He's He was obviously a somewhat private person. He worked hard on crafting an image, and you do kind of see in this show that, you know, some parts of him that may not have fit the image, he worked hard to conceal. Now, I don't begrudge him at anything. You know what? I'm like, I like gambling. I don't have any problem with his gambling. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any problem with him smoking cigars or wanting to drink beer or wanting to go out and party the night before he could play, because if you can do it, you can do it. I don't care. You know, do what you want on your own time. As long as it doesn't affect your day job, you're all good. Well, if you ever want to claim that this guy, you know, affected his day job, then you're saying that he was even better than he was, which is probably the greatest player in history. So, you know, you know I, 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 but I do wonder if he would have kind of cracked under that in constant pressure, constant uh, judgment. And, you know, every day be like, you know, like, oh, saw Jordan going to casino at this point in time. Oh, saw Jordan leaving the casino at this time in the morning. You know what I mean? Like it would be on Twitter, on ESPN, on Newsweek, on CNN, on Fox News. On, I mean, it would be everywhere uh, giving updates. Jordan, because... Jordan was the perfect player for that perfect era, you know, because yeah. he just fit, you know, we didn't have, he didn't have to worry about all this stuff that happens now and, uh, I do think it probably would have, would have affected him as a player uh, playing in today's age with all this, you know, you know, social media and everything you mentioned, Mark. Um, so it's interesting to uh, to see players like, you know, that you would compare him to like LeBron and how LeBron has handled, you know, the stresses and, you know, all the different things kind of, his transformation from, you know, being in Cleveland as this young kid going to the decision and he kind of hammed it up a little bit. And I think he kind of thrived in that spotlight and uh, he's really excelled. Whereas I think had he played in Jordan's era, he may not have done as well. So it's interesting to see the players from their different and respective eras and, and how that compares. Yeah, I mean, he was a competitor, not necessarily a showman. Now, he was so talented that his showmanship was good. But, like, I think you're right. I yes. think, like, more of a LeBron or a Kobe Bryant, those guys were more showmen. They could embrace yes. the spotlight as a, as a medium to extend their brand. And I think Jordan only wanted to extend his brand by just domination. You know, he talks in the show. You yeah. Know, when you watch it, he, 
talks about how he wanted to get into card games, you know, and, and with Paxton and some other people, some other players, and they're like, oh, man, we only play for like $2 a hand. We don't play the way you play. But he didn't care about how much <laughs> was being bet. He wanted to win. He wanted to be like, I dominated you, you know? So uh, competitive. Yeah, mindset. it's interesting with Jordan because the showtime aspect is a product of his competitiveness and his talent, whereas maybe with some of these other guys – the showtime aspect is where it begins and the greatness and the talent are kind of products of the showtime. So it is a different era. It's just interesting. You know, uh, real quick, I just saw this uh, headline and uh, it's going to try and play it. So I'm hoping it doesn't. Okay. Uh, So they're going to have ESPN has documentaries uh, that they were going to hold back a little bit, but I guess they're going to move them up because, because of the uh, high rating, uh, for these captive audiences stuck at home. So ESPN is also going to release uh, Lance. It's a two-part documentary series on uh, Lance Armstrong on May 24th and May 31st. There is Be Water. It's uh, a look at the life of martial arts icon Bruce Lee. That comes on June 7th. And then Long Gone Summer, which is about the 1998 home run chase between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, which we remember well. Uh, and that airs on June 14th. So I'll be looking forward to that one, especially. I was a huge McGuire fan. So uh, that'll be fun to watch. So um, I think we should go ahead and move on. We, we, uh, we're going to run out of time here if we, uh, if we dwell too much. But totally recommend the series. Uh, and, Nate, once you see it, we'll have another episode here and have you come on and kind of share your feelings. I think you're going to be just as impressed as JP and I have been so far. Uh, cool. I mentioned, yeah, I look forward to it. I mentioned real quick on the uh, intro that – uh, you know, the Korea and, uh, and Taiwan uh, games can now be caught on Twitter. And uh, I, I can't remember the name of the link exactly, but I watched uh, the last three innings of a, of a, of a game today, uh, this morning, uh, which was, again, between the 7-Eleven. I can't remember their mascot. And the other one, I can't remember the name of the company, uh, but it was the Knights. And uh, it was just fun to watch. I mean, there are no fans, so it sounds a little different. But, uh, you know, the commentators kind of make up for that a little bit as uh, they can still show excitement when, when a play is done or when a nice or a big hit or a big pitch or something like that. Um, so it will definitely detract from it. I was watching some sports highlights yesterday. And, you know, what? part of what makes sports so much fun is the fans. And the reason is because it's just pure elation, right? And, you know, we're a country that celebrates excellence. And when somebody does something amazing, you know, even in the sporting world, everyone lives vicariously through it and everyone cheers and everyone has a good time. And you just see the joy or feel the joy coming from the people. And you think, boy, right now, wouldn't that be nice? And I understand there's no way we can do it right now, but boy, is that going to be a huge release when we're able to start having sporting events like that? You're going to go watch your home team and you're going to scream so loud just to have something to cheer for. Uh, I think it's going to be a special experience. And I definitely hope to get a ticket to one of those Broncos games. Uh, Bronco Stadium, for those of you who don't know, has a has a history of getting pretty loud. So, uh, you know, when you start stomping on those, uh, what, what do you call the bleachers? You know, the, like the metal bleachers, you start stomping on those. Man, not only can you make it loud, but uh, it can feel like there's an earthquake <laughs> starting to run. Yeah, you make the place, make that place rock. Right? It sways. Yeah, that place rumble. Open a crack. <laughs> And Mark, you can also get um, you can you can get the Korean Baseball League on ESPN two early in the morning. Yes, sorry, yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, my buddy told me that. Well, I actually have a friend that I went to school with. 
um, and he was from Taiwan, and he only came over to go to school at CU, and then he went back home. And uh, so he, you know, we chat on Facebook quite a bit, and uh, he's a huge baseball fan. He comes over to America about every other year and does a tour of like five or six stadiums. And uh, he was the one who first turned me on to that, like kind of before it became trendy uh, on ESPN, was he was like, hey, man, you're missing sports. You know, come watch baseball with us. You know, it's like we're, you know, we're, we're back and roll already. So and it also gives you a little bit of hope. I mean, granted, we've got a ways to go because we are still going up in cases diagnosed per day. But, you know, just give you hope that, you know, even without fans, you can start to have sports again. And I'm sorry, I know some people think sports are really stupid and, don't, and not important. But you know what? Joy is important. Entertainment is important. Just look at who just look at what you're depending on right now podcasts, movies, TV shows, you know, other parts of music and and books and, you know, all the creative mediums, all the artistic mediums, look how important they are right now. I mean, it just goes to show you that, you know, accomplishments are great, but life is about enjoyment. And uh, these people, you know, these, these entertainers give us a lot of enjoyment. So uh, I do hope we can get it back quickly. And I think it'll do wonders for our national psyche and uh and optimism so um, also uh just a real quick side note uh since we're talking entertainment joanna and i watched uh jerry seinfeld's most recent comedy act on netflix it's uh 23 hours to kill is the name of it if you guys if you guys haven't watched that yet i highly suggest it especially if you're married uh it is it so relevant to what's going on right now and some really great uh, classic comedy from a classic comedian. Nice. So it's, uh, how long is it? An hour and a half or hour? Uh, I suppose it's maybe about an hour. Okay, nice. Well, it's good to, you know, yeah. I saw two people post that on uh, on social media and I haven't had a chance. I didn't realize it was out yet. I thought they were uh, touting it. But oh, I didn't yeah. Know it's a, it's it. unbelievable. You got to watch it. Come to think of it, I still haven't watched the last two David Chappelle ones. I need to watch those too. God, he was amazing when he used to make that show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Chappelle show was something else, man. Wow. Yep. Uh, so uh, I see uh, JP. You put down here that uh, Germany's opened up horse racing. No fans, but they do have the online betting going. And I think that ties online in betting. Nice. I, I think you guys uh, with Bovada, you guys might want to jump in on that so you can get your bets in somewhere. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, there's the new uh, there's the new local ones, right? Because the states are now uh, opening up their betting sites uh, for gambling that are where it's been legalized. So, um, going to be interesting. I haven't done any uh, gambling since boy the prior to the Super Bowl, I think. Cause I ran out of money halfway through the season, so um, I haven't thrown any new money. And that's a interesting thought about like, are we going to have gambling going forward? I mean, is there going to be enough to gamble on? You know, uh, <laughs> I hope, but like, I mean, Nate, well, just like, those casinos better make sure they diversify, huh? Got to have well, the card games and the dice going while this is happening. <laughs> God, you know, imagine how hard that's going to be to say, hey, pass these dice to the next person. <laughs> be like, no, mm-hmm. here's your chips. Go ahead and grab those. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to wear gloves at the table for a while, you know? Um, oh, hopefully yeah. when we- Hopefully that antibody test, you can take that and find out we've already had it. You know, Nate and I, uh, we both wonder if we've had it. We both caught the same thing. I only had it for a few days, and then I got better. So it doesn't sound like the right virus. But, Nate, you had like three waves of sickness from the same bug. And I remember at the time, 
uh, Kathleen, my boss, actually said, she said, oh, he got he caught a few things. You don't get sick in the same thing more than once. But of course, as we know now with people with Corona, sometimes they do. Sometimes they're going for weeks, you know, and months. And yeah. uh, so it'd be nice to take the antibody test to see if we've had it. Now, I know that they're saying that that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have immunity to it or can't catch it again. That's not really what I want to know. What I want to know is if I did have it and I made it through, then it means I can probably survive it if I get it again. And there I'm no longer as, as much at risk. And then that makes that frees up my abilities. And because eventually what we can, you know, we're going to get to a point where we can say, look, you guys can all kind of get back to life and to work. The rest of you, I know it sucks. You're just going to stay inside and try and stay away from people, but everybody else, you know, we got to kind of get things rolling, you know? So, um, yeah, I don't think those tests are infallible though. You know, I, I think there's room for error. You know, you can take those antibody tests and, I've heard that they there's get, people are getting false positives because there's still like kind of dead cell matter left over from antibodies that are, that are in there or different so, you know different dead matter that's left over from the virus. Um, well, so I don't know how accurate those are. Well, the antibody test is to see if you've recovered from it. So basically, it says, do you have the antibodies of this virus, i.e., the dead leftover material? kind of like the same like a test mm-hmm. works like do you have the leftovers of when a cannabinoid breaks down well this test for the breakdowns of the virus to see if you had it and survived is what it's what it's about the false positive ones are the testing for the virus and those are the ones that actually had some problems with the initial test from the cdc I, instead of using UHO. I, yeah no i had seen that but i was pretty sure i actually had read something recently about the uh, antibody test now giving false positives too in addition oh, to those tests. That'll be a bummer. <laughs> That'll set us back. Yeah, and I don't know how accurate. Again, I just, you know, you read these things nowadays. You never know what's true and what's not. But um, well, I had read that somewhere that they were looking into that. What were you going to say, JP? So. Yeah, they change day to day, too. Um, for everything you see, sure. it's like, you know, you turn on the news, it's doom and gloom. And it, just like in the, the sports world, everything is fluid, where <clears throat> every day it seems like there's something else changing. Like now we have a virus that's uh, in New York City, in Boston, and in, in California with the kids getting infected with something that's called, um, they nicknamed it the Kawasaki virus, uh, where they're getting the rash and some sort of COVID kind of uh, implication. So, I mean, every every day it seems like, from the start of the day when you watch maybe watch the news or watch the sports sports center to the end of the day, it's changing. Like the notes I wrote on Thursday have already changed from to, to this morning. So <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah, you know, and yeah, from what I've heard that there's a second version of the virus. Um I mean obviously they've 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 mapped out like four hundred mutations on it since it started, but a lot of the mutations aren't um relevant to us because there's only one receptor it can join, uh, can join with uh, in terms of the human body. And that's, you know, that's kind of the one that concerns us is there's changes on that, which affect where, if it can, if it can affect other areas, other mutations don't really matter to us. And like they said, they could, unless they have a direct impact on how long the virus survives or what symptoms it causes. But yeah, I've heard kind of what you were talking about with, they think there's a second major version of the COVID uh, sickness and, that one spreads much, much easier than the other ones. And yeah, it's more contagious, yeah. Yeah, they're trying to figure out, like, why 
certain areas of America are infecting faster than others or, you know, outbreaks go explode bigger than others. And also same thing with mm-hmm. other countries. Like, why was it in Germany and, you know, and, and France, it wasn't, it wasn't so bad. I mean, it's horrible everywhere, but it wasn't critical. Uh, but then like Italy and Spain, it was unbelievably bad, but then Portugal, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was just like, why, why did that happen? And, and so maybe that'll be uh, something that we'll come to that'll, that'll explain things. So, um, last note we had here on uh, uh, prior to the draft was uh, there's going to be a uh, charity event on the 24th down in Florida. It's going to be hey a Mark, just program. real quick, just real quick, I want to reach out to the listeners that were listening on about the last topic. If anybody knows anything about those antibody tests or what we were talking about, to call in and let us know, uh, you know, what's, what's going on in the world. I'd be interested to hear uh, if you had any information. Um, sorry to interrupt you. No, it's fine. The call-in number here is 929-477-3204. Again, 929-477-3204. You can also find that, uh, the line on the uh, blog talk page. Um, so this golf round, uh, JP, you know, you want to kind of uh, – can let us know how this is how this is shaping up. Yeah, this is shaping up as uh, some pretty interesting stuff. Um, so it's going to be Tiger and Peyton Manning, and then Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady on a course in Florida. No spectators. Uh, they're going to do nine holes of best ball, and then nine alternating alternating shot holes. Um, now. Um, Peyton Manning has really stepped his game up, started some trash talk on Thursday about, uh, you know, he wishes they could play this in maybe Indianapolis or in Denver where people absolutely hate Tom Brady. So Peyton is being a little bit of a showman. I mean, we've seen Peyton do commercials. We've seen him on Saturday Night Live. You know, when Peyton wants to turn it on, he can turn it on. So there's going to be, um, you know, uh, there's going to be raffles during this uh, the event, so on and so forth. Um, and there's $10 million going to uh, coronavirus research. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see Brady and Manning on a course with Tiger and Phil. And, and that goes back to, uh, like, the, the last dance. I mean, we grew up with Tiger and Phil on the golf course and Peyton and, and Tom Brady playing football. So it's kind of funny. We're watching um, kind of a little nostalgia from our era, era and, you know, not so much, you know, the, um, the, the millennials era right now. So, and which is probably driving some pretty good TV ratings. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. You know, we're hitting that age where it's getting kind of depressing because all of the great, great players you watched growing up, even if you watch them come into the league, you know, they're like on their way out and you're like, oh, man, I was old enough to watch you get drafted <laughs> and now you're retiring and it's like, my goodness, I must be 10 years older than you. So we're, uh, we're heading straight. We're heading screaming towards that uh, uh, crazy age where uh, you're not quite retired yet, but you're no longer relevant, you know? So going to be, uh, gonna be... <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great way to put that Mark. <laughs> I was talking to somebody, you know, the other day they were saying like, well, you know, it's like 35 to 55, is your really your only your only real earning period of your life, and so you really got to get that right. And I'm like, well, shit, I've screwed up the first decade. Let's see if I can if I can make something happen with the second half. You know, um, you know, when I think about that uh, the nine best ball holes and then the nine alternating shot holes. I was thinking, Nate, you and I should go play around, and we'll do the alternate shot, but we'll kind of do a variation on it. I'll do shots from the rough and shots from the bunker, and you can do all the other shots, and we'll see how we how well we score. <laughs> That would be fun. 
As long as there's some beer involved. Right. I think it would be really fun. Go ahead. The, the golf courses are open. I drive past Welshire at least four times a day, and Welshire looks beautiful down here. Oh, I know Lake Arbor's open. Yeah. So we can get around, and I'm just a little paranoid about being sharing air with people too long because even you know, if you're asymptomatic and I've got such bad asthma, I, I really don't want to catch this thing at least, until there's at least some kind of a treatment for it. So, but Well, right you know, now, next- from what I, can, what I can tell with the golf, because almost all the golf courses are – a lot of the golf courses are oh. open. You basically hit one person to cart and social distancing is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, I can also yeah, tell you every word word on the street course. is you could in, you could inject disinfectant and it'll help. <laughs> right. I'll just take a swig of Clorox every hole and, and I'll be good to go. So uh, <laughs> but I, please if you're listening, don't do that. Do not do right. that, folks. Do not ingest any yeah. cleaning of any kind. There's a reason that your parents used to put that little lock on the door so you I have to worry about that with my cat. I'm always like, don't lick that because he licks everything. That little shit, he eats so much grass outside, and he comes in and pukes. And I'm like, do it outside. If you're going to eat grass, wait till you vomit outside. <laughs> and, I mean, I watch him do it because like, he, he loves being outside. And I'll go around and take a walk around the complex, you know, to get outside. And every time I see him, man, he's just sitting there licking and eating grass. I don't know why he likes it so much, but he just loves that stuff, man. I mean, I'm like, hey, that's not the right kind of grass, dude. The right kind of grass should be a little bit uh, hairier, you know? So, anyway, um, <laughs> the next time we go golfing with a foursome, I do want to do that. I want to do an, either an alternating shot, you know, with like two, you know, two and two alternating shots, or best ball alternate, you know, like, like both of you do best ball, you know? Or maybe even all four do a best ball and just see how good of a score we can get. <laughs> cool. uh, that's funny. Well, Give me your guys' picks for the match. Who's going to win, Tiger and Peyton or uh, Tom and Phil? Hmm. That's a really good question. I, I, I've really never seen Brady play golf that much. I know Peyton plays. Um, mm-hmm. And it just a, depends you, on how Tiger's back is and how, um, you know, what, what condition is Phil in. Because, uh, I mean, these guys have been playing on their their courses. Um, you know, because golf is one of those things. I, I know my ex-brother-in-law down in Florida has been playing on the courses. They're open down there. Um, so it'll, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. You know, you've got some, you know, four of the biggest sports stars of our era, you know, for their, for, from, the, from the NFL and, and from the PGA, um, teaming up just to uh, go out and have some fun and raise some money. So I, I'm just excited yeah. to get, get those four guys on the course. I've you heard know, that he's a low single handicap, Peyton Manning, like a, like a four or a five I handicap. I don't know how accurate that is. I, I guess maybe that. You guys, I don't have yeah, any idea. I don't idea. know if you've heard any different. I would just say with Tiger and Peyton uh, both having back problems, that's why I would pick Phil and Brady just because I think there's a better chance that they would experience some tightness or some aching uh, than the other team. Yeah, yeah, and Brady's a he's a gamer. He still has that fire in his belly more than the other three do, it seems like. <laughs> Brady's yeah. gonna show up, so I'll go with Phil and, and uh Tom. Phil's going Phil's or uh, Brady's going down the, to Florida there so he can get away from uh well, I guess he lives in Florida now, I don't know, Tampa Bay, but I was gonna say get out of Tampa Bay. 
because they're uh, kicking or arresting them for going to the beaches and stuff or the parks. So, <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, just real quick before I forget, because I'll forget to ask this later. Just give me off the top of your head. I know we don't even know if they're going to play all the games or anything like that, but assuming everything goes off as normal, how many games do you think the Patriots win this year? Well, knowing what we know right now, and the and we know who their quarterback is, and that being Jarrett Stidham, I guess that they're going to win like four or five games, maybe. Well, they also have the toughest schedule in football, too. Yeah, so I don't know. It sounds like they're tanking for uh, they're tanking for Trevor Lawrence to me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked if they won and- nine. That, that's just me. I wouldn't either. I don't know if Bill's uh, ego will get out of the way for them to be able to rebuild. <laughs> but don't you think that he wants to prove to everyone that he can win without Brady? Oh, I, oh, I guarantee it. Yeah, no doubt so I, about it. I mean, that guy usually yeah, puts in 12 more days. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put him past him to have a huge year. You never know. The guy could be unbelievable. Maybe he is the next Tom Brady or maybe – Belichick's figured something out with quarterbacks, you know. And does Brady go to the Tampa Bay and do well? You know, you, you would think yes, but hey, these guys, it's like with the yeah. Broncos. You got all these, you know, new talent and stuff, and people are, are, are making, you know, you know, happy predictions, but none of these players have played together. All these teams, it's like these guys have not played together. If it's a new coordinator, they've never run the plays. I don't care how much X's and yep. O's and paper you're giving people, that isn't the same as playing. And we could be looking at yeah. half of these for most of these teams to even round into shape. I don't know. Football is football. The route tree, there's only so many routes you can run. You know, really all the offenses now in the NFL are one version or another of the same thing, you know, and it's more about disguising things, you know, than it is about, um, you know, trying to hide the play you're calling even. It's more about formations and things like that. Um I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I do think that the timing thing is going to be a problem, though. I think quarterbacks and receivers who have not played together, it takes a while to get timing, just like it took a while for LeBron and mm-hmm. Dwayne and, and uh, whoever that third guy, Bosch, uh, to, to play well for Miami. I think it'll get there before the end of the season. But I think we could see Yeah, they have a lot of talent. I mean, that receiver room is as good as any in the NFL. Uh, you know, they have a couple of good tight ends with Gronk coming back, although who knows what to expect from him. But they already had two pretty good ones in Cameron Brait and O.J. Howard. So, uh, you know, that's certainly one of the best, if not the best, tight end room in the NFL. Uh, you know, they upgraded the line a little bit in the draft. I think they picked up a running back uh in the free agency and in the draft. So they're going to be a lot better team. I, I agree with you. I think it will take them some time to gel, but I think Bruce Arians makes things easy for the players. And that's why that offense does so well. Um, so I think, you know, a veteran like Tom Brady, they're going to come together. I think that team's going to be a playoff team. I mean, just do what they did and, last uh, year. And it's the interceptions from Winston and you got a good team. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. And, and you got to look at Tom, you know, it came out uh, this week that Tom Brady was the person that got Bronk or Gronk to uh, come out of retirement and get him down there. Um, Bruce Arians, he said it, he's like, that was all Tom Brady. We had nothing to do with it until Tom mentioned it. And then their GM went after the trade 
and made it happen. Well, how well, nice I is think it? this is about, I think it's about Tom proving the same thing that Mark said about Belichick. It's, you know, can he do this on his own without Bill? And I think he has the most to lose of, of all, you know, what's but the Patriots, Belichick and, and Tom Brady, if, you know, if you put them all in the same boat, I feel like Tom's really going out on a limb here at, you know, 45 years old, 44 years old, uh, trying to prove that he can do it with a different team and different teammates and a different coach. And, uh, you know, if, if he goes and doesn't do very well, then I feel like, you know, people can kind of be like, oh, well, it was all Belichick, especially if they have a good year with a no-name quarterback. So, I don't know, a lot of pressure on Tom Brady this year. Well, we always know that uh, Billitech did plenty well with, uh, was it Matt Castle that was uh, who came in uh, yeah. middle of game yeah. one uh, and uh, halftime of game one or even earlier, and they went 11-5. and five. Missed the playoffs, but they won 11 games. So uh, And also, yes. the Gronk situation, I think that works out wonderfully because, one, he had a whole year to, to, to stay away from getting hit, right? I mean, that's something that most players aren't really afforded unless they get hurt. Uh, is time to just mend. And so he had a whole year to mend, uh, get his mind clear. And not only that, with, you know, Nate, you bring up them having Brait and O.J. Howard, two very good tight ends. And I think that makes it great because not only one, can you run three tight end sets, which improves your running game, but you can also have Gronk only play in specific plays, you know, when you're in the red zone or when you're on a third down or something like that. In the other plays, you can have him sit so he takes less less impact. You know, I think it could uh, – I think it work out real well. Absolutely. And, and also, you know, but what, what people don't know about Gronk is he's also a fantastic blocker. You know, so he can be a great decoy. Uh, he can also make a big block for a team and, you know, get it back into the end zone. So I think he'll be a great asset. I, I think it's good they're deep there so he doesn't play as much because he's certainly fragile. Uh, being as big a guy as he is, uh, but I don't, I worry about his speed and, and like the game speed for him, at least in the, in the beginning, you know, is his speed going to be close enough to where he used to get that separation? You know, I don't know if he can still do that. Maybe he can make up for it with some physicality, but, um, that'll be the big question mark for me with Gronk, but I do think they'll be pretty successful there at Tampa Bay this year. With such good hand and just, the guy is just big. He's just a big mfer i mean he's just big and he can just bowl people and it's like it'll be fun to watch him because yeah. he's one of those players that a he you can tell the joy he gets in playing like he just loves to play and also yep. that i mean he's just a you know he's just a he's a medical he's a physical marvel right i mean there's just certain players certain people that are just of, of a size that shouldn't have the coordination and um you know um the fluidity that they have at their size and they're just they're just freaks of nature and uh it's fun to watch you know, because otherwise you never see that kind of thing. So let's go ahead and jump Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Make sure we don't run out of time too far. Um, so let's just kind of run over the top 10, 12, 15 picks. I think these are important um, just to kind of, you know, see if how, how teams did. And then we'll jump into a few other picks. Uh, we also definitely are going to review all of our favorite teams. I know that they might not be your favorite teams, but uh, that's the bummer you get for not being the host of the show. You don't get to talk about your squad. And uh, we'll <laughs> Mark, definitely you give over our best. Question question in the way real quick? I forgot all about it. Let's do that. Because we're just right past the top of the hour. Okay, so this is a um, uh, appeals to college teams. So what team had the most players drafted in one draft and how many in what year? So – 
obviously LSU this year, we all know that they had uh, they had 14 players taken. So was that the highest? Hmm. I'm going to say no. Um, I mean, Alabama's had a lot of players taken, but I don't know if they've ever had that many in one draft, but they've had a lot. Um Nate, what do you think about, like, the Miami Hurricanes teams, like, of Michael Irvin years? I mean, and then some of the Alabama teams, too, just from the last decade. Um, There's certainly a lot of guys were drafted from those teams as well. Uh, You said the number was 14, JP? That's what LSU had this year. Man, that's a lot of guys. The SEC overall had 67 uh, players drafted, which is second best. I mean, so you're saying what? There's there's another team. There's another team that did that did more than LSU though. I don't know if I understand the question. Read it one more time. Okay, so which team had the most players drafted in one draft? How many and what year was it? Okay. And like I said, just okay. to give you a basis. LSU at 14 this year. I mean, I gotta say that that's the record. Mark, I probably—I mean, yeah—I I don't really know drafts well enough to to know. I mean, I think Alabama's had more overall, but that's all. I mean, fourteen—that's more than a whole starter starting squad for I, one. I half. know. Yeah, I, I'm, that's why I'm saying it's a record. Okay, you guys are close. You're half right. Um, if Randy Moss's son would have declared, came out, and de- he decided to stay in school, it would have been fifteen. So it's actually a tie with uh, another team with 14. And it's not Alabama. It's a different conference. I can just – I'll give you the answer so we can get on with the uh, the rest of our draft. Okay. Um, It's actually Ohio State from 2014. 14 they had also. Wow. What year was that? What was that? What 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 year? year? 2014. 2014. Okay. Interesting. Yep. Cool. Well, that's a good interest. That's an interesting fact, JP. Good, uh, good trivia question there. Yeah. All you right, know what? Fellas, we like got about said. 50 minutes to knock out this draft. Let's yep. do it. You know, we actually have a caller. Do we want to bring him on or do we have enough time? Oh yeah. Bring him on. Yeah. Bring him on. Good morning, caller. Thanks for uh, calling in here to the sports offensive. Uh, we're going to have to go kind of quickly here, but uh, what's your name? And what's sure. your question? Um, good morning, girls. My name's Scott, and uh, I'm from Cleveland, so my question's going to be around the Browns. And and I'm wondering, do you think Baker Mayfield is going to have a bounce-back year? Um, with I ask that question with this pretense, is that I do, because I think the guy's wired that way. You know, he had a bad year, and there's a lot of eyes on him now. Not that there weren't eyes on him last year, but I just think he needs a little shot. Um, here and there, and he's going he's gonna to get it, and I think they're going to be successful this year. So I wondered um, what what some folks that you know weren't in the the northern Ohio you know um, area there what what they think about <laughs> the Browns from the outside, or yeah, or are they just going to continue to laugh and shit? Well, I got to say that uh, I thought on paper that the that the Cleveland had a very nice draft. I think they've done that for a few years. Uh, I think they've made some good free agent acquisitions. But there seems to be a culture there that is hard to snap out of. 
They, I, and I don't know where it comes from. Last year, you would have thought they had the talent to put together a good team, um, but then there's been so many other years where they've just done, uh, you know, baffling drafts. I mean, you think back to the draft where they got Mayfield and they took the cornerback uh, as well in that draft, and you know, did they make the right calls? Did they pass on generational type players? Um, and they're looking not so bad now because Chubb, obviously a fantastic running back, and they passed on Saquon, and Saquon actually wasn't good last year. So uh, I, I think that everything is in place to do well. I think they had the wrong coach last year. I think they've got a better coach this year. I think the GM change that they made a while back uh, with the Deep Edesta kind of group uh, has worked, but uh, we'll see if they can change that culture. Uh, JP, what do you think? You know, you know, great question. Thanks for calling in. You know, um, wrong coach, um, right players, wrong coach is what I'm going to say about last year. Uh, your draft this year was good. You've got the best offensive tackle on Alabama in, in Jedrick, uh, Jedrick Wills. Um, so you're building around an offensive line for Baker because uh, Baker made some bad decisions, but I think he was forced into a lot of bad decisions last year too. So I looked for the Browns to get back to – the 800 level or the 500 level and um, ex- expand on that. You know, when we get back to playing football here, I think they're making the moves in the right direction, but uh, it was um, wrong coach, wrong time last year for him. And, you know, we, uh, and uh, I'll try and I'll chime in real quickly and uh, caller. Thanks for calling in. Happy mother's day um, to your family and all of that. But uh, just I'll address the question directly. Uh, Baker Mayfield is certainly one of those guys that has a, a moxie and, you know, he's not going to give up easy. So I think you're going to see his best. I'll, I'll promise you that you'll see his best. He, and they're surrounded by a lot of talent. There is a ton of talent on that team. They did a great job in the draft this year. In fact, we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, but uh, I think that Cleveland has a big chance to turn things around with a new team in place, and I'll reiterate what both the guys said, culture. So thanks for calling in, caller. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and move on, but thank you for calling in. Uh, You know, uh, I I, I wish I knew which episode to recommend, but like two years ago in the off-season time, we did almost an entire show segment on if we were the brand-new president and GM of the Browns, what we would do to try and – team and uh, uh we yeah, all had some pretty great show I remember, but your nates i liked yours the most because you really went into uh more than just like overall like kind of broad changes but like specific things you could do to try and and turn things around quickly which make you think of bill parcells like when he took over the the you know he took over dallas he took over miami these teams didn't end up winning super bowls um like his giants teams but he was able to take teams that were dismal and make them football teams in one year you know, maybe not really super deep, you know, playoff run type teams, but at least being competitive. But, you know, you Absolutely. think about basketball. That's like my dream job, Mark. I always wanted to be a GM for an NFL <laughs> team or a major league baseball team. So it would be a lot of fun. But. Fun that would be. The only downside would be, as uh, unlike Madden, you wouldn't be able to uh, do contracts quickly and easily, <laughs> you know, and, and just did it. Or trade right. down and pick Seven draft picks, you know, like you do in um, and you like you do in football Madden football game. Excuse me. Uh, so in the draft, pick number one wasn't a shock. Uh, everyone knew that the Cincinnati had been tanking it, uh, that they were going to uh, pick up Joe Burrow, and and uh, also the repercussions of uh, Anthony Andy Dalton is going to be interesting. Uh, any any anybody unhappy with that pick or think that there was a reach or, or a bad idea? 
Well, I'll tell you what, Mark. Nope. Um, you know, he, he set the record with 60 TDs in this season. His draft grade before the season started last year was a sixth-round pick. So you see how much that yeah. offensive coordinator and all that talent he had around him last year just made him jump from a sixth-round pick to the number one overall pick, uh, you know, in the draft. So amazing story. Well, it's amazing what happens with quarterbacks in drafts, period, the way that their stock rises, much like um, physical, large cornerbacks. Um, like everyone talks about speed, but then a lot of times it switches to the bigger quarterbacks because of the fact that you need cornerbacks to be able to tackle um, high-skilled high running backs in the NFL and, uh, and knock off blocks and also do press coverages, uh, which are a lot less common in college. Uh, we move on to pick number two. Uh, Chase Young, defensive end to Washington. I have a, a coworker who's a huge Redskins fan, and he was talking about how angry he was hearing rumors that they might trade the pick away. And he's like, "Why would you do that? You have a chance to get a generational player for the next ten years to change your to build your defense around." And I got to agree. Uh, Broncos did that with Von Miller, and they built a Super Bowl champion out of it. So uh, I think this was the right call. I think that they should not have moved down. And the JPIC have some notes here, kind of comparing him to Bosa, and we know how well Bosa's done uh, as a high draft pick. Yeah, and uh, I, I watched, you know, I'm a Penn Stater and a CU guy, but um, Chase Young single-handedly beat Penn State in the fourth quarter this, this past year in, in the horseshoe. <laughs> single-handedly just took the game over. Yeah, just yeah, he's different. a generational talent. And you think in about my him? opinion, he's the best player in the draft. So I, I think he should have gone first, but I understand the need for a quarterback and the importance of quarterback. So I can't poo-poo Cincinnati's pick, but uh, I think yeah, Chase I mean, Young is certainly the best he player. Was, he was the best overall player in the draft. Yeah. Yes. But, you know, with the QB thing, you know, like just going to like Denver's recent history, you see what happens when you don't have a QB. I mean, my goodness, how many did they go through? They went, you know, they had Trevor Simeon, they had Paxton Lynch, they had uh, Matt, or uh, um, not Matt, uh, who's your boy from uh, Minnesota? Um, you want to say Matt Castle? Oh, Keenum. Chase, Case Keenum, um, Joe Flacco. I mean, you, you just, it just goes to show you, you have to have somebody who can make something happen. And um, whether or not Drew Locke turns out to be the guy, we don't know yet, but just his ability not to just stand straight in the pocket uh, and not be able to move went from a dismal Broncos team to a team that won a lot down the stretch. So I, I, I understand Cincinnati's idea. It's like, you know, you have to be able to score. If you cannot score points, you cannot win. And uh, I think this year with the Browns and the Broncos, we're going to get a good tutorial and I'm curious to see what the answer is. Is it more important that you have an offensive line that can give your quarterback time? Or is it more important that you have, you know, have weapons that the quarterback can utilize and be mobile to try and run away from trouble. So I think that could be a really interesting uh, introspective on this season when we get to the end, assuming we get to play, which fingers are still crossed because man, not having fantasy baseball so far and not having softball has been hard. Let's get something going here. You know, so we don't go crazy. Uh, right. Third, Jeff Okuda. I uh, hope I'm saying that name right. Uh, went to Detroit. Um, so, JP, uh, and I, mean, I know you're a college football guru. Uh, this was the pick that got a lot of consternation, it seemed like, a lot of negativity about who they took here. Do you think that the player was worth it, and should he have gone in a different area of the draft? He probably should have went in a different area of the draft. Detroit needed a lockdown corner. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, is, is 
you in the notes here, all three of the top three players were on the roster for Ohio State University in 2017. Shows you the, the strength of Ohio State there. Um, he probably could have went later in the draft. I think Detroit could have maybe filled some other holes here. Um, interesting pick. Wait, Joe Burrow um, played for Ohio State? Yeah, he transferred. He played for Ohio State and transferred. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was never going to get any playing time behind um, uh, J.T. Barrett. So it was it was Ohio State, Ohio State, Ohio State, basically, or more or less. Yeah, that's basically what it was. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Has that happened before? It, not that I know. Then Joe Burrow is from Ohio. He's from southeastern Ohio. If you listen yeah, to I knew, I knew that he was from there. Interesting. So, but yeah. Huh. Interesting pick that the, the number four pick with Andrew Thomas, uh, offensive tackle that the Giants picked. That's my head scratcher. This kid is ranked was ranked in my books for about fourth offensive tackle in the draft. And if you go down, like uh, Scott came on here, uh, Jedrick Wills, the tenth pick from Alabama to Cleveland. That kid was rated as one number one or number two. I mean, they should have been all over that. You know, being an Alabama kid, um, I, I this one. I look at the Giants. I, they do things. You know, if Dan, if uh, who'd you call it that pulls everything out right? You know, they may look like geniuses, but I, a lot of people when this one happened were like, "You got the fourth pick, and you took like the fourth overall talented tackle in the draft." Didn't make sense. Yeah, I, I don't think you'll. Like- I don't think you'll ever hear about it, guys. But I kind of have a feeling that the Giants were trying to trade back in that spot, and I think, I think with this it. virtual draft and all of the kind of weird different things going on, that they panicked and that they just picked this guy at the very end, and that was who they took, and that they felt safe with it. Yeah, make make yeah, you wonder I thought if the Maybe maybe he was pro ready footwork wise or something like that, and that's what they were that's what they were going for. Because I mean, you never really know, right? Because I mean, any of these guys can peter out and be sure. nothing. Um, but yeah, that was I, that was the one that I heard a lot of. I mean, the Detroit pick I heard quite a bit of rumbling, and then this one, not so much that Andrew Thomas wasn't a good player, but that they could have traded back fifteen spot and still I, gotten. The one thing I did hear is that he's more athletic than the other two or three guys. You know, the other guys are uh, bigger bodies. You know, Wirtz and Wills and those guys are are big boys. But I think Thomas is a little bit more athletic, so it might have had something to do with their scheme. I don't know if they're a zone-blocking team in New York or not. Well, and you know, uh, Stink, our local guy here, uh, I, I, you know, I feel like I, I, I absorb a lot from him because I think he's such a, you know, obviously he was an expert, uh, a Hall of Fame type of lineman. And, uh, you know, uh, if you go for athleticism, you know, that's, that's one thing, but he always stresses, I don't care so much about how athletic a guy is or how well he does at the combine where he's playing in shorts and and a t-shirt. I want to know how good he is as a football player, you know? And he also talks about speed a lot. And he's like, well, yeah, that's great that you've got amazing speed, but what if you can't handle a check off the line? What if every time you get Mm -hmm. bumped uh, with a cornerback, you're going to be knocked back two steps. So you're always going to be off on your timing. You know, it's like, it's not just about speed. It's about how good of a player you are. And with, you know, Garrett Bowles, the Broncos have had all those problems with, they talk about, he was incredibly athletic. Like they still say his skill set is phenomenal. He just doesn't have the head in the right spot uh, to make it worthwhile. So 
but we'll see what happens. I, I, I do think that that's an interesting pick. I think number five is the, is the first really cool pick because here's where you get a lot of questions come up. And I personally, you know, you know me, with, with the luck I've had in fantasy foot sports has been not taking risks. Uh, risks don't seem to work for me. Other play, people, risks work out great. So I don't know what to say about this one other than if I were the GM, I would be like, not worth the risk. This guy, yes, he looked great. Um, you know, supposedly he's passed all his physicals and whatnot, but I- I'm sorry. I- that's a major injury. And if he loses, you know, if he were to lose his speed or, f- I mean, what if he just gets like Todd Gurley? What if he just gets arthritis in his knee in the first three years? I, I just, who, I wouldn't have. Who that. would you have taken instead? I would have probably taken Isaiah Simmons and gotten a real nice linebacker to kind of retool my defense because that team has got a bazillion holes. So yeah, um, and he's a versatile player. Sure, I see that. I could see that. You know, and also they they need some wide receiver talent. But I would have probably gone all three picks in the first round. I would have either gone all offensive line, right? That's the first thing if you're going to build that line. If not, I'd have gone all uh, front seven and, and try to uh, stack it up with in, in a big offense or defensive line draft. What did you guys think of the okay, pick? That makes sense. Yeah, I think I, boy, as as a GM, you really tie yourself to these picks when you make a QB in the top, you know, in the first round, really. Uh, so it's a big risk. But uh, boy, you look at guys like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and some of these more athletic quarterbacks have kind of laying a, a blueprint for success the last two or three seasons. I mean, Tua certainly fits that fold. You know, he, he reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson. He's not a real tall guy. I think he's maybe 5'11", uh, but uh, always very accurate throughout his career at Alabama and in, in high school as well. Correct me if I'm wrong, JP, but I think he was – you know, a 65% completion rate or something like that. Um, you know, yep. the, the, of course, the health and the injury issues are, you know, that's the big question mark. You know, you pick a guy, and if he's not on the field, you know, what do you do about it? So, I don't know. You could have gone in a lot of different directions here with Miami. I mean, they had so many holes, but they needed to go find themselves a quarterback. So, I, I kind of like the pick. I think it's you know, it takes some cojones to, to to pull the trigger on a guy like this. But, boy, the risk versus reward, he sure is an athletic quarterback and accurate. So I think he surprises and, and turns into a very good player if he's healthy. Right, right. If he's healthy. What do you De- think? Definitely a risky pick. Definitely a risky pick because you got to, you know, he throws left-handed. We don't – in the history, we have not had that many left-handed quarterbacks in the league – and a lot of his players, teammates, you know, like uh, Jerry Judy and Ruggs, you know, you have to get used to catching that ball spinning yeah. in different directions and so on and so forth. So that's they, another concern there. But he's extremely athletic. I mean, it was tank for Tua this whole year until Joe Burrow, he got hurt and Joe Burrow had the, had the record-setting year that he uh, had. I mean, you've got to remember the 60 TDs, but Burrow also threw for 5,600 yards. That's such a great term, <laughs> tank for Tua. Um, it'll be a really interesting pick i think this is one we're going to really be watching because uh i mean i wouldn't be shocked if they gave him a red shirt the whole first year and said you know what no hits no taking a risk just learn how to be a quarterback learn our playbook learn how things go and then in practice when you can't get hurt uh that's when the guys will try and learn to catch differently and 
you know what? That can always be an advantage. You got a guy who throws a different ball than every other quarterback in the league. It's something different you have to prepare for. So uh, I wish him all yeah, the luck in the world. I think, I think if you ask any receivers that played with Michael Vick, they'll tell you that it takes some getting used to, um, you know, coming yep. out of the lefty. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to watch that situation because I do think he's a very athletic player, like I mentioned. But I think he's in a perfect situation with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You know, Fitzpatrick is the consummate professional. He can go out and win games. He's going to be, you know, ahead of the, the curve on what's going on on defenses. He can kind of teach to a few things. Uh, he's not going to be there more than this year. So, I, you know, I think it's a great situation for him. It's all up to him to make it work. You know, our show mascot, Gizmo, just came in and, and gave his opinion, and he said he thinks that Tua is dog shit. So, a little controversy. Uh, <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, next pick. So, this one, boy, I don't know what to think here. Um, Herbert, <laughs> quarterback from Oregon. Oregon QB is number one. Uh, that's that's kind of a red flag. I mean, I know that there's different coaches and stuff, but my goodness, uh, Mariota, I mean, he hung on, but he's nothing. And uh, Harrington was uh, just an absolute joke. Uh, is Herbert any better? I mean, JP, what I have heard is that he's got a very slow release. And in porn, that may work out well for you. But in the NFL, I don't think that's going to ever equate to a successful career. Well, you're right. He does have a slow release. And, you know, the funny thing was, and I think Ryan Clark of ESPN mentioned this, they were showing not highlights of, of Herbert. Um, they were showing some game film of him. And unfortunately, it was all of his interceptions he threw last year of what the highlight reel was, um, is what they were showing. And he makes a lot of bad decisions. And he is, he's an Oregon kid. He grew up in Eugene you know, about 20 minutes from Austin Stadium. Um, oh, you know, he, he, he's a good quarterback, but he does have that slow release, and he does make some bad decisions. Um, playing on the West Coast, I think, is an is a advantage for him. Um, if he was playing on the East Coast, I think he'd be at a little bit more of a disadvantage uh, just because of the, the heat and humidity. You know, he's coming from a climate that is not dry, but um, it's wet up there, um, cooler, you know, L.A., it's, it's always 70 to 80 degrees. You know, it's always perfect weather. So it's, this is the, it's an interesting pick. Um, they had to go somewhere with this, you know, after they got rid of Phillip Rivers. Uh, they needed someone for the future. Uh, he was the next obvious choice here because um, the, the kid from Utah, which we'll get into here in a little bit that the Packers took, and I'm not even going to say his name, um, was uh, a head-scratcher. Yeah, you know, this pick uh, was also interesting because, uh, like you say, like where else would they have gone? I mean, they've got a terrific uh, edge rusher. They've got a terrific linebacker rusher. They've got very good receivers. They've got a pair of at least, at least two good receivers. Uh, they yeah. let Gordon go because they have good uh, other running backs that could step up with Eckler and uh, I'm forgetting the other guy, but they've, I mean, they've got plenty of depth there. I mean, where else were they really going to go with this pick? I mean, they could have gone with a DT. They could have gone with a, a linebacker, but I mean, maybe the offensive tackle, maybe of grabbing Willis, you know, or something like that. And, and giving themselves a little bit more protection for Tyrod Taylor. But I mean, I kind of understand they, that they wanted to go QB, but if I was the GM, this is the place where I would have traded down. There's, there's somebody would have given me something for that pick, 
And I could have gotten some talent later. And like JP, like you were talking about with the, the guy that the Packers took, you know, you could still get yourself a QB or even get a QB later in the draft and, and, uh, and yeah. mold for or, or tank for the guy next year. But when you, you know, I just, I just don't think that they improved their team. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like this is a pick they could have definitely traded down from, you know, they, they needed a, a need for quarterback, but there's quarterbacks down lower in the draft. So they could have definitely traded down on this one. Nate. Yeah. It's, it just kind of reminds me of like your 10 year high school reunion. You know, you go home and there's always that girl that kind of just let it all go, you know, and she, uh, you feel bad and, Oh, I feel like LA is kind of in that situation. <laughs> I feel like LA is kind of in that situation. They've just kind of let it all go. They gave up their quarterback. They haven't resigned any of their good players. They're just kind of giving up on life. So uh, I think they need to recharge the uh, recharge the tank here, and uh, and they had to get a quarterback. So I don't poo poo the pick, but. Uh, Man, I don't know. I think I'd have taken a more impactful guy like a C.J. Henderson or an Isaiah Simmons or even one of the two D tackles. So, yeah. <laughs> Did you like my yeah. analogy, Mark? Yep, they're gonna be the uh, they're gonna be the thunder thighs and short shorts walking through the Walmart <laughs> aisle. You know, they're, they're just they're just calling it. <laughs> Oh, life. You know what a terrible team, man. I mean, they they just kind of crumbled. And for all that talent that they have, uh, boy, I would have. Uh, I yeah. I feel bad. I feel bad for that city because I think that they're they're wasting a window and they're going to find out that these skill players are only good for so long before they're no longer the top. I mean, my God, Antonio Brown went from a god to a joke in the span of about nine weeks. So uh, things can happen. <laughs> we go to uh, Auburn uh, defensive tackle Derek Brown taken by Carolina. Um, you know what? I don't really mind this pick. I think Carolina needs to figure out something better at quarterback. But, uh, you know, I mean, why not build up the defense and then just either uh, – do we know who's going to QB? Is it going to be Kyle or is it going to be uh, uh, Greer, whatever his name is they drafted? Well, they traded Kyle to the Redskins. Oh, so they're going with uh, the guy they drafted last year. Um, They signed Teddy Bridgewater in free agency. Yeah, touchdown Teddy. Oh, oh then that's a good pick. Uh, oh, then I like this pick. Yeah, okay. Works for me. What do you guys think? I think I liked the other tackle better, uh, Kinlaw. I would have taken him, although I still think Brown's really good. So I don't think it's a bad pick. I think it's a safe pick. Uh, Carolina is another of those teams that's pretty much rebuilding from the bottom up, So uh, other than their running game, of course. But I think uh, it's not a bad pick. It's a safe pick. It's a good pick. Nate hit it on the head for me. I actually watched a couple of South Carolina games. Just the Alabama game was on. The Georgia game was on. Um, this Kinlaw kid that Nate was uh, referring to is, is quite a talent. And we'll get down to where he went because I can't believe the team that got him got him. And it, it makes him just, uh, you know, just the, richest, the rich get richer. So, but I don't mind yep. the pick. It's a good pick. He's a salt player from Auburn. He's an SEC player. Played in big games. Yeah. Uh, so let's definitely let's, let's burn through a few picks here. So we can kind of get down to the, the get through the draft here. Um, Isaiah Simmons, uh, Clemson linebacker for Arizona. I think he's a game changer. I think that's a great pick. You guys give it an A, B, C. Oh, that's an A. Best <sighs> linebacker in the draft. 
I don't think he's a linebacker at his size. I think you guys are going to end up seeing him playing sort of a hybrid player, uh, more even more like a safety sometimes, or even a corner. Uh, he's and, so and fast. That's how, they, I mean, that's how they use them. Yeah, he's just so fast, and and he's just but he's but he's only like two twenty five or something like that, which for a linebacker in the NFL, you just really don't see guys that are that small. It's pretty unusual. Um, so I don't know. I think he's a good football player. They just need to figure out how to use him and, and use him right. If they do, then I give the pick, you know, an A. Otherwise, it's a C. Makes good good points. Good points. Yeah, maybe he'll make maybe he'll become a great free safety. Uh, C.J. Henderson, cornerback for Florida. Uh, I don't really have an, I don't really know much about this kid. So uh, you guys tell me what you think. Uh, lockdown corner. Good corner. Good good yep. good athletic athletic corner. Yep, everything I hear is the same thing. I mean, basically, I I hear he's as good or even maybe better than Okuda. So, yeah, oh, very nice. Um, you know, we kind of covered uh, the Browns' uh, uh, pick earlier, and I think we actually they may come up in our uh, in our analysis of best uh, drafts, and we're gonna have to get moving to get there. Um, Henry Ruggs ended up going to uh, Oakland, or I guess I technically Las Vegas. Las Vegas. Apologize about that. <laughs> what do you think about taking Ruggs with a with that? as the first receiver off the board. I mean, I know his speed was fantastic. Was he the best or was he even in the top three, like wide receivers? Uh, speed is what brought him off the board first. I can, I can tell you that right now. He was the fastest, most dynamic speed guy out there. Um, we'll get down to where Denver picked, but uh, he wasn't the best wide receiver. He was the fastest wide receiver. So John Gruden is looking for speed out there. And, classic uh, Raiders pick, guys. Classic Raiders pick. Right, channeling the ghost yeah. of uh, of Al Davis. So, um, you know, Werf went to uh, offensive tackle, went to the Bucks. Great pickup, helped Brady. They traded up, I think, one pick to get that. And uh, San Francisco then picked up an additional pick, and we talked about them getting Kinlaw, which is, you know, picking up the best defensive uh, tackle in the draft, uh, late in the draft. And then the Broncos came. Broncos pick up Jerry Judy, the number one receiver from Alabama, uh, I mean, amazing that he was there. Broncos had talked about trading up six to seven picks to get this guy. Ended up falling into their lap, much like uh, uh, um, Chubb fell into their lap a couple of years ago uh, at the number five pick. Uh, uh, this is a fantastic pick to me as a Denver fan. Uh, and the, the thing that's kind of funny is uh, um, the uh, the next best player that I had on there was C.D. Lamb, and he fell just as far basically as Judy did. Um, do you think it was weird that the most, the deepest wide receiver draft that the best wide receivers in the deepest draft for wide receiver fell so far, or is that why they fell so far? I think it's why they fell that, that so far, because I, I mean, if I remember at the top of my head, I mean, Nate's uh, Vikings got themselves a kid from SMU that's outstanding in like the sixth round. So it was so packed with wide receivers, you could get them late. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, C.D. Lamb, I mean, Jerry Jones should have went defense with that next pick there um, when they took him. And it was a complete screw the Eagles over because they know they that the Eagles wanted <laughs> C.D. Lamb. Um, and they took – the Eagles tried to – from what I heard, the Eagles tried to trade up for that pick, but they couldn't get up there. And that's why Jerry Jones just took him. They should – the Cowboys should have went safety or cornerback here, and they didn't. 
And uh, yeah. you know, we're I'll just put my two cents in real quick. I think the receiver run was, you know, it, people had foreseen that this is where it was going to come, but I think they thought San Francisco would be the team to start it. Um, so yeah. them taking Kinlaw, you know, I don't think they expected Kinlaw to be there at, at 14. I think right. they were ready to take Judy. But then I think that's why they traded up ahead of Denver because I think Denver was going to take Kinlaw uh, ahead of him. So everything I've read here anyway uh, in the local you know, section says that Kinlaw was the guy uh, for Denver. So that's why San Francisco traded up. Anyway, great pick. I think he's the best receiver in a maybe the best receiver class ever. So at 15, it's a steal. I don't think receiver is a super important position in the NFL as it used to be. Uh, so, you know, Denver gets them in a good spot. And uh, we'll yep. be going over the, the Philly and, and Minnesota picks in the first round here in a second as we cover our teams. But let's just quickly jump down to 32, the last pick of the draft. Uh, Kansas City picks up Clyde Edwards. He's a uh, – uh, or I don't know how you say the last name, Hellier, um, running back from LSU. Uh, they say he's, like, he's very much like a receiving uh, scat kind of back, and uh, that he'll fit perfectly into the kind of uh, plays that Andy Reid calls. I mean, did the rich just get richer? Did we just see one of the most amazing offenses we've ever seen get better? Yeah, this, this, this kid is a Westbrook, Brian Westbrook type back that Andy Reid loved to use back in the day. And this, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire is his last name. Um, he is a perfect fit for Andy Reid. And the Rich just got richer at the 32nd pick, which is absolutely amazing. And when, you, when, you, when, when that pick came off the board, I was like, good Lord. I'm like, that offense with him? Now you're just you, – you, it's, it's, it's above and beyond what you even need. Yeah, right. perfect fit. JP nailed it. It's a it's a perfect fit. Um, you know, a lot of teams you bring this guy out onto the field, and the defense is going to know he's going to be involved in the play. Whereas in Kansas City, he's masked by Tyreek Hill and uh, Travis Kelsey and all the other talented players on the field. He's just going to excel there. Uh, rich get richer. I mean, how do you even cover? Uh, I mean, you can't even double cover anybody on that squad anymore. I mean, you got Hardman and you got Tyreek with unbelievable speed. Now you're bringing in this guy who's going to be out in the flats and in the in the screens. And you've got Kelsey, as one of, maybe the best tight end at football. I mean, and they even have a couple more receivers. I mean, they got Sammy Watkins for good sake. I mean, imagine. I mean, that's a that's a, just an incredible cast uh, of characters. Um, so we're down to about 18 minutes. So let's try to keep our uh, favorite team uh, reviews down to four to five minutes. Let's start on the east and go westward. So, JP, why don't you kind of break down uh, how you felt about the draft for Philly, and then Nate and I will give just a quick, uh, um, you know, re- response. Um, you know, Philly's draft, uh, Jalen Rager, I, I like the pick. I would have rather seen him take um, who Minnesota got right after him and Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver from LSU, um, but here's the thing. What Jalen Rager is, he's five foot ten, two hundred ten pounds, and he he ran um, the combine a, a four four forty four four seven forty time. His pro day he ran a four two seven. Um, he is a he's a playmaker. He's a bigger Darren Sproles. He can run in open space. He seems to just see the field really well. Um, it, it, it's a great stick for him. Um, he's going to be an instant impact player. Pick number two, Jalen Hurts. I have no idea what they're thinking with this. The return on investment, unless, I mean, you just paid Carson Wentz 
um, at the time, the biggest QB salary in the history, but now we know other QBs got more money. Um, the return on investment in this, I mean, what is it? You put it, you can't, I mean, and Taysom Hill with the, with the, the Saints, what did he go in, the fourth or fifth round? So you take right. him in the second. I mean, how many picks do you need in, you know, you get a first and a second for him. If, if, even if you make him into a player where people want to get him, he was always more of a runner than a passer. Um, it, I just – they told Carson – Howie Roseman called Carson and told him they were going to do this. It just – you know, they got late um, late value in the draft overall, like Davian Teller, the outside linebacker from CU, who can also be that hybrid safety type. Um, the, 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 the Kayvon Walls pick, the safety from Clemson, he is a baller. Uh, I love that pick later in the draft. Um, one of the one of the, one of the great athletic safeties out there. Even if you have pick 145, Jake Driscoll, they're going to fill some offensive tackle needs. He's another kid out of Auburn. He's an SEC, big-time player. Um, overall, I, I gave the Philly draft, what did I give him, um, uh, a C? A D, it was a D minus until the later rounds, and I gave him a C. wasn't the best draft in the world. Uh, they kind of got screwed out on some picks. But uh, the Jalen Hurts, I, I, I'm not sure where they're going with this unless in 2022 Carson takes off or Carson just gets hurt and they don't use him anymore. But Jalen would have been the quarterback I would have took for that team. I think that uh... – I I like the Philly draft more than most people simply because Carson's injury history has shown it's hard for him to stay on the field all all 16 games and the playoffs. So having a very capable backup, I think, is necessary for that team. So I actually didn't think they did that bad, and I liked their later picks. Uh, Nate? Yeah, I agree with Mark. I think the QB, maybe they could have waited around um, and still gotten him. Although I know, you know, the Patriots were considering him and there were some others. So I guess if that's your guy, you got to just take him. So I don't have a huge qualm with it. I, I think Hertz can be successful in the NFL. Um, the receiver pick, I didn't, I just don't know much about the kid they took. I know he can fly. Uh, so I was kind of shocked that they didn't take Jefferson. Uh, being the Vikings fan sitting there going, oh, please, Jefferson, you know, don't take him. And uh, <laughs> they took Rieger. So that surprised me. Um, I don't think I mean, Jefferson's can, can, quite as fast, but Jefferson isn't quite as fast. The the reason why the Rager pick doesn't stand out to you is because he had a true freshman quarterback throwing to him that couldn't get him the ball, basically. Yeah. Well, and it's a deep receiver class and a lot of teams needed receivers. So this is kind of where that run took place. Uh being Denver Philly and, and the Vikings all kind of in that same ten to twelve pick area. Uh, a lot of receivers going there. So not a surprise. I like Philly's picks just because their GM has always been successful in the past. I don't know a whole lot about most of their picks. Hurts the only ones I really – is really the only one I do. So I'll give them a B based on their history, and, you know, I do like the Hurts pick. So. Well, Nate, why don't you jump into your analysis of the Vikings? And uh, you don't have to just stick with the draft. You can also pull in the offseason moves. Obviously, there was one – big one that uh, impacted the team. <laughs> right. And I assume you're talking about the Stefan Diggs trade. So I'm looking yeah. at the clock, 1047. I'm going to try to wrap this up by 1050. So I'll, I'll go quickly here, but yeah, Stefan Diggs trade, uh, they got a first round pick. So I was just really excited to see them have two first round picks. I was kind of hoping they'd try to trade those two and move up to get 
you know, one of the top four tackles. Uh, I was really hoping that would be their focus. But, of course, losing Diggs, uh, it was great to get a, another receiver that could kind of replace him and Jefferson. Uh, I think he has the ability to be one of the best receivers in this class, if not the best. Uh, so I love that pick. I love Gladney. He's immediately uh, our number two cornerback. I think he's going to be a hell of a player in the uh, NFL. Uh, absolutely elated to get Ezra Cleveland in the second round. We needed a tackle so bad. I really thought we were going to get Trent Williams from the uh, Redskins, but for whatever reason, that trade fell through. And so uh, I really love this this pickup. This kid is super athletic, super athletic. He's you know, 6'6", six, six, uh, 310 pounds, uh, smart as as can be. I think he's going to be a heck of a player. So uh, really excited. And then they also got a kid by the name of uh, uh, Cam Danzler. Uh, he's also a cornerback. Uh, and the reason he went as low as he did is because he didn't run real well at the combine. I think he ran like a 4-5-something. Um, but he's six two, long arms, huge wingspan. I think he's got a shot at being a great slot corner uh, that the Vikings were able to pick up real late. Uh, so really excited about what they did for the depth for the team. Um, they were able to get 15 picks in the modern era. That's like the most draft picks by one team in the NFL. So kind of cool. I love what the uh, GM Spielman did by uh, – kind of trading back a couple times and picking up extra picks. Uh, I think he fleeced New Orleans and San Francisco. So that was pretty cool. I, I think we also, you know, did a great job in getting uh, that first rounder for digs. Everyone knew he wanted out of here. So I figured we would be lucky to get a second round pick. So loved it that we got a first. Um, yeah, I think Spielman's been really good in, in, in the draft. We've got, we found a ton of pass rushers late in the draft. We have this guy named Adrian Patterson that's been one of our defensive line coaches for years in Minnesota, and they just keep coming out, you know, with, you know, guys that uh, can rush the passer. Uh, now it's this guy by the name of Daniil Hunter, you know, and he is just a beast. I uh, had like 12 or 15 sacks or something this last season. Uh, but they've got some young guys they pick later on that they're going to try to develop into that role. So just real happy with what they've done uh, on paper anyway. It all looks great. Uh, I feel like they lost a ton of starters on defense. Uh, so they've got some work to do, but I feel like they got a lot younger and more athletic. So I think with some coaching that they can be pretty serviceable on defense. Uh, I think the offense is going to be amazing. I'm really excited to see what Jefferson does and uh, the running game. Delvin Cook's a beast. I hope they re-sign him to an extension before the season starts. So he goes in with a uh, happy in a happy place, but uh, very, very excited. I'll give the Vikings an A minus and uh, in the draft. And uh, what do you guys think? I, overall, I think the draft went well. I mean, from what I know of the players, I think they were good picks, and I think that they, I think they did a good job at filling the holes that they had. I love when a team gets younger. I think that's always a good uh, move to make. I also, but I always wonder, does it take? a year for the players to kind of come around. Sometimes it does. Sometimes yep. they come around right away. I mean, you just don't know. It depends on how, how well and how well they transition, you know, and, and I don't think you really, yep. that's based on college program and things like that. But uh, no, I think they did a good job and I think they have a window that they need to, they need to attack it while they've got it. And I think Diggs was kind of a fool uh, for being so concerned about what he was concerned about as opposed to 
uh, trying to win. I mean, you came close to a Super Bowl, and I'm not sure you're getting closer by being traded where you got traded. JP? Yeah, you know, I, top to bottom, I, I gave the Vikings an A here. Um, you know, I love what they did with the first two picks. You know, first uh, the 22nd and 31 pick with Jeff- Jefferson and Gladney were great picks. And then, like you said, Ezra Cleveland, you know, Boise State offensive tackle, you got one there. Um, and then you got a, another great corner with Dantzler on the Mississippi State. Um, look, looking down this real quick, you got a really good corner in round five from Temple, uh, Harrison Hand. Um, Temple's built a really good defensive program there that plays in a conference with wide open offenses. And you, I think you're going to find um, if he has a good, if we ever get to camp and he has a good camp, that pick 176 for you, KJ Osborne, the wide receiver from Miami, is going to yeah. be quite a, a quite a player for you. He he was a really good yeah. wide receiver with a an okay quarterback. Yeah, I think he makes the team as the fifth receiver and slash punt kick returner. That's my prediction. Yep. 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 I so, agree. Um, moving on to the Broncos here, got I'll try and get this done quickly. Um, so I was a big fan of the draft. Now there was one thing I didn't like, and that was I would have prioritized getting the tackle. Uh, Jared Bowles or Garrett Bowles is a disaster. He is constantly uh, causing uh, holding penalties or other penalties. And sometimes they say that they even call penalties on other Bronco linemen just because they get tired of calling his name and don't want to rub his face in it. (laughs) But he's just, he's a drive killer. He's an absolute drive killer and destroyer. And uh, they didn't go after um, Trent Williams, which I didn't like. I thought they could have gotten him for a fair price, you know, like a third this year and a fourth next year or something. Um, now it looks like they may get Peters that was uh, is a free agent now from the Eagles. While he's past his prime, he'd be an upgrade on Bowles. So if they figure that out, then it's okay. Uh, they, Jerry Judy, hopefully he's he's healed, and that gives him a right tackle that, that's a force. Uh, they draft uh, the third, or fourth pick was uh, Lloyd Cushenberry. Fell really far in the draft, much further than they thought he would. They say he's a possible day one starter, uh, can replace uh, a popular center that left Denver. So that could be a three-quarter line uh, of the three-quarters of the line uh, patch or fix. They've got the lineman from last year who did very well with the guard. Uh, so they could have the better line to protect uh, Luck or excuse me, Lock. So that's why I think they went went the way they did. And then Judy, obviously, we talked about him falling, being a nice uh, value pick. KJ Hamler, uh, the guy doesn't sound like he has the best hands or the best route running, but he's got good speed to stretch the field which Broncos haven't really had outside of their number one, Cortland Sutton, and you don't want the guy stretching the field to also be your number one. So that should work out as long as he can uh, not drop too many passes. Uh, they pick up, um, I don't know how to say his last name, Michael Ujamadia, something like that. I hope I'm saying that close. Um, I, from what I hear, he's a good zone corner, but he's not a lockdown or a man-to-man guy. That's kind of more of what the Broncos could use uh, with the players that they've lost and the corners that they have signed are more already cover corners. So little hesitant on that. Uh, I like the tight end, Albert, uh, whatever, Albert. Oh, um, I, I, he's not much of a blocker. and I don't know if that's going to, if that's going to improve, uh, but he's got good speed and gives Broncos a chance to have another receiving weapon when they want to go into spread formations and they can even do it in a, in a chip, you know, blocking type thing. We're having both uh, uh, both uh, Albert and uh, Noah Fant from last year, you know, get a chip on the linebacker before they go out for a, a quick route. Uh, so I think all these moves could really help improve the offense, which has been one of the worst in the NFL, and I think that's very important. But uh, 
got a very young quarterback with a very small sample size, and these are a lot of rookies and second-year players. We'll see if they can gel. I'm hopeful, but uh, I'm also aware that it could take it could go some going go through some growing pains to start off. Is yeah, great synopsis, Mark. I, I think uh, you know I think Denver did very well. Um, I love their first pick. I think tackle should have been more important. They still had Tristan Wirfs on the board. I would, if I had have been Denver, I would, that's who I'd have taken, even over Judy. Um, but I can't argue the Judy pick. They certainly needed a receiver, and man, that's going to make them nasty. For they won't have to pick a, you know, a, a receiver for years now, hopefully. Uh, and right. the KJ Hamler pick was kind of weird. I don't know if they like had him in mind for the second round, and then Judy was a surprise, you know. And then they were just stuck on taking Hamler no matter what, because I think they value a punt kick returner type guy or somebody that's got explosive speed like that. Um, sure. So I understand trying to get faster and enrich a position, but it's a little bit questionable to take back-to-back receivers. And then, yeah, I think the corner is, you know, good for depth. I don't know what kind of player he is, but uh, Albert O, the one thing I do know about him is he's massive. So he'll be a big red zone target, I would think. And, and uh, he's from Missouri. So he played college football through locks. So uh, I think that's a lot of the reason they picked him. Uh, in yeah, fact, I think Denver picked, Denver picked two or three guys from Missouri. Anyway, good, good, good draft. I give him an A. JP. Yeah, I had him. Uh, I had him as an A through the first three picks, and then I I had to drop him down just because a little bit at the end of the draft, like the, the Mutai pick, um, the Strand picked the linebacker on awake. Uh, they picked the tight end out of Missouri just because. Uh, Drew Locke knows him, and he's comfortable throwing throwing him the ball. Um, you're going to be surprised with KJ. KJ dropped balls because he was double covered a lot, um, because he was main target at Penn State. He's an absolute speedster playmaker. Um, he's going to offset this offense really well. Um, I can understand why they took him there because yeah, no one expected Jerry Judy to basically to drop the 15 overall. So I think they probably might have had a plan in place to take KJ. Um, so, you know, like I said, I had him at a solid A through the first three picks. You'll like the cornerback from uh, Iowa. Iowa is always known for their tight ends and tough defenses. Um, that cornerback plays uh, very well at that position because I've watched the Penn State-Iowa games um, throughout the past couple of years, and uh, he, he's, he's a good cornerback. Um, so I, I gave him a B overall. Uh, maybe if they would have taken – uh, besides the, you know, you're going to like the center from LSU. They would have taken another offensive uh, lineman earlier. It would have been an A for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and but having, having Reisner coming over for a second year, uh, and Judy hopefully coming back from the nonstop thing, uh, you know, maybe they can uh, maybe they can survive. So uh, we're down to about 90 seconds. Just want to jump to this topic real quick and give like a 10 second whatever. Um, Jim Harbaugh talking about players should be able to enter the draft whenever they want. And also that it don't get drafted. They should be able to go back into school. What do you think about that, JP? It brings up a hard question about not getting paid because you already know there's being people paid under the table. Kansas is going through that with Adidas right now with all kinds of, with the football team and the basketball team. It brings up an interesting point. It's really hard to judge how you would really do that. And, you know, it, whether it's, uh, you know, do, do, do you get extra, endorsements on the side or, you know, like North Carolina got caught 
you know, selling off their uh, uh, Air Jordan gear and so on and so forth. It's an interesting <laughs> thought. I like it in theory. It's going to be really hard to kind of uh, govern over. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, I agree with everything JP said. Um, I know we're all, we're almost out of time, guys. Uh, I, I just wanted to give my top three teams real quick in the draft. I oh, thought the uh, yeah. Broncos and the Ravens and, and Cowboys for me. Ravens did look good. All right, well, we're about done here, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. I had an absolute blast, fellows. It was great to be on the radio and, uh, and uh, reliving a little bit of sports action. Happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Offensive out.